Hey, everybody, it's Lee. I know we're heading into the offseason, so we wanted to give a shout-out to our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, one more time. And again, we have a coupon for $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at hockey.sensearena.com. I always like to remind everybody, I've been using this thing for six months, and I'm just blown away, not just from the VR aspect of it and the virtual reality side of things, but the ability to give different perspectives of the game, whether I'm playing as a goaltender, and I got to admit, it is really hard, but it has really given me a perspective from that point of hockey, which has made me a better coach and a better ice hockey player, or the skater modes, which help you work on cognitive skills and other things like heads-up play that you don't normally get to work on in a practice or a game. So I implore you to check it out. It helps us out. It helps them out. Support our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena. Get $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Again, that's Hockey Never Stops. That's the code at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Check it out. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Bring on NHL developmental skill coach today to talk to you and your kids about the things we need to be doing as coaches, parents, and kids to better develop through all ages of hockey. Uh, and again, this person's worked with NHL players, high-level uh, teenage players, and we really have a great conversation with Samit, Samit Ware. He's our guest today um, about the things that you can do or we should be thinking about as youth hockey people. Uh, to really get our kids to where they need to be. So that's who our guest is today on Our Kids Play Hockey. We're going to remind you as we head to the, those holidays, uh, head over to HockeyWrapAround.com. Use the code OKPH at checkout. It's going to give you 20% off your purchase. I know this is the time of year. A lot of you get new sticks for your kids. A lot of you have equipment drying needs. Well, they sell the world's top off-ice hockey blade protector so your kids don't destroy those sticks outside. We also sell the dry stick, a patented uh, a portable equipment dryer that attaches right to those sticks with no fear of damaging the sticks. So again, head over hockeywrapperound.com, 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 and use the code OKPH. Stands for Our Kids Play Hockey. All caps at checkout. Uh, get your 20% discount today. Uh, but without further ado, let's dive right into the episode with Samit Ware on Our Kids Play Hockey. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. I'm Lee Elias with Mike Benelli, and today we are joined by an NHL player and development coach, Samit Ware. Samit is the player development consultant of choice for many of the NHL's best young prospects and has worked with skaters on several NHL teams, including, but not limited to, the New York Rangers, Columbus Blue Jackets, Dallas Stars, and the Buffalo Sabres, that list will continue to grow. Samit is also a certified skills and high performance coach and has coached at the world, professional, junior, and high-level youth levels. And his work has led him to become the founder of Lab 9 Player Development, which is a high-performance coaching and video analysis program for elite-level athletes. While Samit's hockey resume is very impressive and demands our attention, you're also going to find in this interview that his personal journey is very insightful and inspiring. Samit, welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you having me, and um, I'm excited to uh, make an impact uh, at your podcast and uh, in the game. So thank you again. Well, Samit, I can already say you've done one of those things in terms of having an impact in the game, and I already know you're going to have one on the podcast. I love reading intros like that, uh, not just from a qualification standpoint, but as a coach, as a parent, you just know you're going to uncover a lot of, you know, gold in an episode like this. Um, I do want to start with this. You, you actually have a very unique upbringing. Uh, you grew up in British Columbia. Your parents immigrated from India 
Um, your father was a truck driver. And, and as you've said many times on interviews, he was gone for days at a time. So not the most ideal situation for hockey. But in spite of that, you started hockey at two and a half years old. You also played other sports growing up. And I can tell from those interviews that I watched that your father had a major influence on you as a child. Can, can you tell us about that relationship a little bit and maybe some of the hardships that he went through that inspired you to, to work the way you have? Yeah, I think uh, my dad was a really important piece. Um, Elkford, BC was a pretty small town. Um, it was a coal mining town. So there wasn't, there was only about 3,500 people there. Um, didn't have ice in the summer. So my dad preached a lot of, uh, I did a lot of rollerblading as a kid, um, especially we in the summer. That. Yeah, we love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he, he put me in different sports. You know, he put me in Taekwondo uh, track and field. I did all the sports growing up. We had a basketball court, especially in a small town like BC, you get a pretty big yard. So you end up getting a whole driveway and, you know, it was, it was day and night we'd be playing outside. And my dad was just a, he was just a hard worker. Um, he was a pretty hard nosed guy, I would say, uh, worked for everything. Um, and you know, he really pushed me to, um, focus on, on skating. That was like the biggest thing. Um, when I was at a, uh, at a young age, it was, it was skating and all the kids were skating, um, uh, in public skating forwards and I, I'd be skating backwards. Uh, everyone's skating forwards on uh, rollerblades during, you know, the summers and I'm skating backwards. And so, yeah, no, he loved, he loved the game, um, uh, loved the flames as well. Like that was his, uh, biggest, uh, I would say passion, uh, watching, you know, Theo Fleury and yeah. Pavel Beret, um, you know, he, he, I think he really understood um, the game in a way, in a sense of, of skill and how and the importance of it um, at, at a young age for me. And I had an older brother as well. And so he, he first, you know, you had my brother there. And, and then I think he took um, pieces that my brother didn't have and, and started working it on me as the younger child. And honestly, it's, um, it made a really, really big impact for me. Um, definitely the work ethic piece. And um, just the passion, I think, came from my came from my father. And, um, you know, he's he's still passionate about the game right now. But, you know, he still talks about, you know, me playing as a kid. And and we, you know, we would drive to Vancouver, um, you know, pack the car and drive to Vancouver, go to tournaments, come back through, you know, blizzards. And it was it was it's pretty like inspiring. And, you know, I think it inspires me uh for me to, to be a parent, like, like my dad one day. So it, it was pretty cool, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's always amazing when you hear stories like that, how uh, certain things imprint on us as, as coaches and players. And um, I love that you said, yeah, I was skating backwards and everybody else was skating forwards. And, and Mike can tell you too, one of the things we talk about is just fundamental skill sets and how, how we, we are not focused on them like we used to be. Um, and that there's other fun, advanced skill sets now that kids uh, that are fun. Don't get me wrong, but you know they'll learn how to take a Michigan before they learn how to take a wrist shot. Um, right. And and I think that you know it's an important part of the puzzle of what you're saying right now is that like you know he made me skate backwards. I remember hearing the stories about Gretzky's dad making him follow the play the play on a piece of paper. With it's a very well known yeah. story now, but just kind of tracking the puck and these basic skill sets that I think too many people assume now that kids are just going to pick up. It's not the case. No, no. I think, I think that's, I mean, picking up those little things, I think now it's, it's a a lot of it's highlights. They look at the highlights. Right. um, And and they don't watch the game as much. 
as I think our generation did when we were kids, we were watching the game talking down in Canada and I'm playing mini stick with my brother while the game is on. Right. And and now you got kids on their phones and then they're, you know, they're seeing the highlights, but they right. don't see the intricacies of the game and the face offs, the, the Darcy Tucker going over the bench, trying to beat up Chris <laughs> Neal, right? Like right. that kind of stuff. You, you know, it's funny. I mean, you make me remember this. I remember talking about, this is both a compliment on how the games evolved, but also supporting your point. When I was a teenager, the the high skill, like the the skill that everybody wanted was Joe Sackick's wrist shot. Yeah. Because he had the best wrist shot. And that was like the, I got to find video of Joe Sackick's wrist shot. Nobody wants to see a wrist shot nowadays, right? We're all about the toe drag release and and these advanced skills. But it, it's funny how the game's evolved. And again, I think I think this leads perfectly into my next question um, because we got to strike a balance with all this. And, and we've commented and had guests on the show um, that talk about, this fact that young athletes are probably more skilled than ever, but often lack the tactical awareness uh, or those other aspects of the games needed to make it to higher levels. Now, in your work, you're training a lot of these extremely high level athletes. How do you strike a balance for that as a coach? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it goes back to the player identity. And what a coach wants within his team system. Cause I think a lot of players are focused on their skill set and how I got to score right. and how, and that's going to impact the game and how I'm going to make this play. That's going to, you know, result in a goal. But I think now we have to start to teach players that things outside the goals, like checking how hard you check the puck, what your positioning is like, Where's your stick? Um, maybe you can develop into a really good penalty killer uh, when you're a little bit older. That's reliable. Um, I think those are the big things that I think that where you can find a balance is like, hey, like you might not have the toe drag release that Johnny has, but you got real good skating ability. Right. You're you're you know you're physical on the puck. You can strip the puck, um, and you got you got the IQ to make the pass. So I think those things I think need to be communicated to the players at a young age that you don't need to be this type of player that's scoring goals, but you can make the impact for our team in a different way. And I think that's something that's needs to be shown and it needs to be taught. And I think, I think in the game, it needs to be celebrated more and you can see all the, you know, at the highest level in the NHL, you have like Colorado winning, for example, they had Lekkanen, they had all of these guys that people don't really know that are third, third, fourth line players that make such an impact for right. McKinnon to have success, uh, to Makar to have success. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is making sure that we're shedding light as coaches and, um, you know, stating, um, I would say the strengths outside of scoring goals and, and how a player can still impact the game. Um, and, and really try to tie it to their identity as a player, because not everyone is a goal scorer as per se. Yeah. Mike, Mike, I'm going to throw it to you too on this. Cause I want your thoughts on this because Samit, something I think we fail at, um, largely as coaches and parents is the awareness of what you just said. Um, cause I think we kind of assume that kids know that and I can, I, in my experience, they don't right. In my experience, it's, it's, Hey, I want to be McDavid. And, and, and again, look, there's nothing wrong with dreaming like that. I, I never tell a kid don't try and do something. But I think that as coaches and parents, 
we need to do a better job of explaining what you just said. Which there, there are many roles in this game. There are many skill sets in this game. You know, there there is a difference between a, a defensive forward and an offensive forward. And if your team doesn't have one of those defensive forwards, that's a role you can fill. And the more roles you can build within your repertoire, A, you'll start to realize which roles you succeed at, which I have a question about that later. And then B, you'll start to learn new roles. You'll see the game better. I, I think we don't do enough to teach offense how to play defense and mm-hmm. defense how to play offense because the, the wider your breadth of knowledge of the game, the better of a player you're going to become. And, and again, Mike, I am going to throw this to you, I promise. But <laughs> one of the things that that boggles my mind is when I see coaches start to implement systems, probably at the appropriate age, and that's like the peewee bantam age, you really start to get into that. But mm-hmm. they tell a player, okay, you're going to be at the top of this one one three. And that's it. They never let them play anywhere else on the one one three. And it's like, how are you expecting them to play a cohesive system when the kid only knows the one aspect that you have to play every position on the system yes. to understand the system? So, Mike, like, my, my, let me sauce it to you because <laughs> because I'm talking a lot. And then we'll. So yeah, I, do have I, a mean, about this. I think it all makes sense. I, I mean, it, when we talk about this a lot on the show, but we also talk about it, you know, off the show, just in, in skill development areas where you know, really good skill developers don't change the player. They enhance right. what the player has, right? So it's like, like this is what you're really good at. I, I'm not going to turn you into this guy because that's not only a lot of work, but it's just not in your skill set. You know, I think I think the 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 era of, of players, and this is not everywhere, and it might be too general, but the era of players understanding that they have certain roles and they should embrace those roles and that it, not every player is a first line centerman is become like, it's really hard because of the highlight world we're in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, people forget about, like, they don't, they see the goal and they see the guy doing the thing and, and, you know, five feet in front, but they don't see the, the hard back check, the, the quick up, the pivot out, the finding the lane, the moving the puck, the, 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 the not, you know, not brushing the puck off six times before they get it. Like they don't see all those pieces and I think a great skill developing coaches, you know, find what's what players do well and then make them better at that. And then now you can start playing. Now you can get inserted to Lee's point really into any place. Like I remember the story. I mean, we're in New York here. Right. So when when uh, when Chris Kreider had Tortorella coaching him, it was like, well, Chris, you got to get down and block shots and you got to do this. And I go. But, but he's like, well, that's just not him. That's not who he is. Like you can't make that player do that. And then what happens? He's in a different system. Next thing you know, he's scoring 50 goals and it's a whole different world for him because Breaking somebody didn't try to, you know, yeah. stick a, a round, you know, peg in a square hole. And I think that's the, you know, but that's where I think the world of skill development coaches and head coaches, especially at the youth level, like at the at the develop, you know, I know they're I know we're all in development, but at the youth level, at the nine, 10, 11 year olds. That's where that cohesion has to take place because yes. I, I think skilled coaches are saying, no, 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 you got to do this. And then the head coach is like, no, 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 you got to do this. And I don't know why I, I can't imagine what that does to an 11 year old kid. And that has to fight those two, you know, the paid coach or the paid instructor and the, <clears throat> and the volunteer coach having this, you know, and not being able to be in a symbiotic relationship is really one of the things that hurts. I think well, a lot of you forces a choice where there shouldn't be one. Yeah. Right. We got to find a way. So maybe, you know, maybe you could just mention that a little bit. Like, how do you work within that um, metric? Like, w- like you know, obviously you're working with 
guys that are getting paid a lot of money to perform at certain levels. Are you just saying, okay, what you give me what I need to, you know, you give me what your role is expected and I'm going to help enhance that. Or we're going to turn you into this player so that you can get a bigger paycheck. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Mike. I think the way I, I put it is I have to have a conversation with the player because we could, we could communicate our understanding of what he should be, but the player really needs to believe in what he can be or what he should be for his team. You know, like I, so I, I think the first thing is to have a conversation. Um, and then for me, I always go through the video of the player and highlight things that I think that he needs to understand that where, what is his strengths and weaknesses? He might think he's a skilled player or is a, a guy that, that, you know, can, can be a Makar, but that's the first conversation is who do you think you are? The second conversation is I got to come up with my perspective and identity for him and then have a conversation with him about that. Um, and then from there, we got to, we got to meet halfway. And so I think at the level that with the, with the higher level players, I think they already know a lot of them, but for me, it's to take what his skill set is and how can we first come to an understanding of what your identity is, what your goal is. That's the first thing. Cause then I can take his game and add to it and slowly progress into if he's a fifth defenseman, can we make him into a fourth defenseman for the team? What are the skill aspects of the game that I can enhance within his skill set currently to get to the fourth, maybe the third? Um, that's probably the biggest thing is the communication and and like I said, there has to be uh there has to be chemistry within those conversations. If he's thinking one thing and I'm thinking one thing. You know, like that's where it's like, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. So mom and dads, pause, pause this right now and understand that if you have a skills coach that you ask at the rink, right, you go to the rink, say, hey, you know, to me, I want you to work with my kid. And he says, yeah, great. Bring him out. I'm going to start working with him. And there's zero conversation about who the player is, <laughs> what the player does, when, what the commitment level is. There's no conversation with the player, right? It's the parent. Like, okay, I, I dealt with the parent. The kid shows up. We do a lesson. He goes home. If that's your skills coach run away run as fast as you can and and or unless you just want to pay 125 bucks an hour to you know yeah. have you hit get a workout fine but i think your point is exactly what this audience is that's a crucial piece of the development is understanding what the player thinks he wants what everybody else thinks the player is and then somebody say okay well this is who you are this is what you want this is how we got to get there and, or you can't get there you cannot do this because it just is not who you are so I think that's that's a great point, I think, for any parent to understand that 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 is a, a conversation, the trilogy of the parent, the player, the coach, and then this this skills person who's going to try to navigate that whole thing and not just a like I, I get very upset when I hear skills coaches working with players that don't have a syllabus, don't have a plan, don't have a, a point of action. They just say they go out every week and then they do some stick handling through deviators. And they all shoot the score, obviously, because that's, you know, they get one scoring shot a year and and that's all they work on. And um, and then I never see anybody dishing passes off or looking plays or recycling or just finding other options. 
But I think that's a really cautionary tale, right, for parents, is that if you have a skills coach that doesn't have a conversation with you and your child and doesn't have a plan, it's very difficult for me to advocate for that person getting paid. Well, it, it just is. And I've been writing notes here, guys, and, and I, a few things. Number one, I wrote this down. Great skills coaches are paid to challenge you, not appease you. Right. I, and I think that and that could be across the board. That's not even limited to hockey. That could be a business right. coach. That could be a trumpet coach. Right. They got to they, they're trying to challenge you. And then also, Samit, you said this, too. A, a large part of it is discovery, helping that player discover what they're good at. You know, I, I'm going to speak a little bit from personal experience because um, I haven't thought about this in a while. You know, when I got a skills coach, when you know, I was a little older in my teenage years, um, that coach, his name was Stefan. Uh, challenged me heavily. And he was very upfront of, you're not good at this. You're not going mm -hmm. to get the shot where you want it in time for college. Like we can get that a little bit better, but we uncovered, discovered you are really good at face-offs, right? So we worked on that. We realized that um, I had a playmaking ability that was so raw, but I could see the path. Um, and again, I'm not bragging. I'm saying I didn't realize a lot of this because I was a teenager. I wanted to be Joe Sackick, right? I wanted to be Eric Lindros. I'm not 6'5", it turns out. You know, but you start to discover these things. So we worked on my playmaking ability, my face-off ability, several other things. But that is how I got recruited because mm -hmm. colleges at the time were looking for players that could do that. And guess what? There were not many of them, right? Mm -hmm. So I benefited greatly from being challenged, that discovery process, and also being told, stop trying to be this player, right? now. And, and it, I should also say, it was communicated to me in a way that like I understood, he he met me where I'm at, and so I mean I imagine that is a huge part of this process, of of being able to meet these players where they're at because if they don't agree with you, they don't agree with you, right? It, it's it's helping them to understand that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me is is you have to be on the same page, you know, and I I, I still am a firm believer that this all skills should be worked on at at a young age, mm -hmm. like I think that when you're when you're working with a skills coach i think it's important to have a, a skating coach as well right you know and, and i know the game's expensive and, and you can always go into group sessions like i know um people in, in calgary up up here and in, in northern alberta have you know their skating coach but they do group skating and i think that's like a really key piece because that to me is like an important um, piece to add skill um so yeah, like at a young age, you want to work at your strengths and build on your weaknesses, but at the same time, just making sure that you're doing things overall, but the overall skill development has to tie to like the game system. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's a really important piece that needs to be uh, like, just, just, I would say uh, practiced more, you know, like what skills are we doing and how does it relate to a system, I think, is what will progress a player quicker. That's a great statement. That really is. I haven't I actually have not heard it said like that before. Um, and I think that skill development has become so individualistic about giving my son or my daughter the best advantage. You're making a great point. When you get to the elite levels, skill is important, but everyone's got it, right? It's it's can I can I put you into this system effectively, and can you adapt to that effectively? It's a tremendous point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I give you an example, like on, on a forecheck, right? Like you, you teach the kids to go hard on the forecheck, but where's their stick position? Mm -hmm. What are the routes that they're going to face 
at the next level. It's, it's, everything's the same, right? Like everything is the same. It's, and, and I think that's important to teach that to the young kids, right? Like what are the routes for a four check system? Where should your feet be? Where should your hands be? Um, where's your recovery point? Like I'm having, those like, I'm things... having like flashbacks of every conversation every weekend that happened. Yeah, because like yeah. You know, your point is like you're you're saying, okay, yes, you're working hard. Yes, you're you're the first guy on the puck. I get it. You're busting your ass, but you're but your stick is not in a lane to help you, and you're getting beat because of this. Or like right. I deal with a lot with defensemen and just you know taking ice first instead of you know that yeah. like I'm not a big read and react fan. I'm like, no, no, you react and let the player read you. Like you take your ice, you know, you establish where you want to go and then make that player go somewhere else. And that those are the little nuanced things that right. doesn't take skill. It takes using the skill you have and then working within yeah. a system. And and then and the good and the best players that last the longest are, are the ones that kind of find the area of saying, okay, this is what I'm good at here's how I'm going to establish zone coverage. Here's how I'm going to dictate where players come against me. And then I, and then I can maximize instead of being the guy, like we all see those players, right. That go through tryouts. They're like, Oh my God, look at this kid. He went through three cones in six seconds and he can stick handle <laughs> backwards and he can do flips and he can spin a Rama, but yeah, but he didn't go anywhere. Like what did he do? He, he it, it, there was no end result. So I think that that is a, a perfect point of when a parent says, well, why didn't my kid make the team? He was the best player at tryouts and he did this, this, and this. Well, because he, he, he can't play within a structured system. He'll be a great adult league player someday. <laughs> He'll be the player you see in adults and like, my God, what division one college does that guy play at? And like he didn't play anywhere because there's no hitting. There's no system. There's no forecheck. There's no back check. So he's able to do all these kind of things that we love about seeing really high skilled players. But when it comes down to playing on a team, you're working with kids saying, or, and men and, and every, players that say, okay, I, I need to be inject myself in here. What's the best way for me to be as efficient as possible within that structure. Right. That's going to help me build my game. And I think we lose, not we, but a, a, a lot of people, we, a, a lot of people lose that piece by just looking at the pure raw skill of a player. And then, but then, and I, and I, I don't want to use the word hockey IQ because I don't think it's, I don't know if it's much hockey IQ yeah, as aptitude. I think aptitude is a fair word. Understanding yeah. there's certain there's certain roles there's certain areas in the ice where you need to play a certain way to have the most success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and and for the podcast itself, like I, for the parents, like I, I it happens at a young age, and and that's where, like, yeah, like we're talking systems, but, but it has to be taught at a young age for them to progress to become better versus learning it later right like like for my my dad like never knew any systems so i was learning it on the spot but then i saw like the the players that where their dads played at a high level they, they just they were just better than everyone they just they just picked up things quicker and so i'm starting to realize now that if if and that's where like lab nine i think i i want to make an impact at a younger age is that like now i can teach these kids at a young age right and now it's like exciting to see like how much quicker a player can progress if the parents you know maybe just don't know about the game as much right. and that's where like i think you know we as a program can support that player and 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 maybe you know get him to reach his goals quicker 
Samir, I love it when a guest leads into the next question perfectly. Uh-huh. And, and you've done that. I, I This is what I want to say. A large portion of our audience, you just alluded to this, um, are parents and coaches of that U12 age down to mites. And one of the aspects of training that we preach is the importance of practicing fundamental skills before moving on to more advanced skills. And I'm not just talking physical skills when I say that, as you just said. Um, and again, it's everything from attempting a Michigan before knowing how to do a, a, a one-timer correctly, before knowing how to catch a pass and then just shoot. So this is kind of a two-part question. Um, what are, and you mentioned skating, but what are the most essential skill sets that youth athletes should be working on, in your opinion? And uh, how can coaches and parents inspire kids to learn them while keeping it fun? Because I think we also lose a lot of kids during drills because they're not crafted well. Right. Or they're not explained well. It's okay, do this, this, and this because I want to work on our four check. But they don't actually say that. They just go do this, this, and this. And naturally, kids just do this, this, and this with no understanding of why. Yeah, that's a, that's a, again, a really good question uh, that I'd love to answer. I (laughs) think um, the first thing I think is to play multiple sports. I I really think that's like number one because you start to work on your coordination and balance which affects your skating and it's going to help your skating. So that's the number one thing in terms of skill development, I think is like the base has to be started at not just skating. Yeah. Power skating is great. And, and I hear a lot of um, uh, like, you know, news articles of like, Oh, like you just need to be on the ice a lot. Like, yeah, you got to be on the ice, but at the same time, like a lot of these players that are on the ice are really good athletes. So mm-hmm. I, I think playing multiple sports, having a, a real good importance or plan on skating and, and learning your edge control, uh, ability to transfer weight, I think is one thing. So a lot of players will go into skating, but then their weight shift and weight transfer isn't there. And so I think those two things are really important. Handling the puck on and off the ice but then again, you got lacrosse, which I think is great for puck control. Um, basketball, handling a ball, those kind of things I think are going to help your hands. And so at the young ages, I think you can do those different sports to enhance your puck skills, your skating skills. And then like for, for a young kid, I think games are great and, and showing video, but then turning it into a game. Mm-hmm. I think like small area games are great um, because I, I've, I've learned that younger kids just, they, they go so fast. And so if you can start to, um, I would say, turn it into a game and show, like I, like I said, I'm a firm believer on showing some video because at a young age, they see an NHL player do something. I think they can process it quicker and actually start to want to do it. Mm-hmm that way and really try to impress the coach as well and so the nhl is like a really really good way for players to be inspired the younger players because they now they're looking at mcdavid do it and they're like okay i can can do it or i want to do it you know simi what's funny about what you're saying is that 40 years ago you know, the idea of video review was almost scoffed at. It, it was actually Roger Nielsen, famous coach, that brought that into the foray. But before him, it was like, I don't want to watch the video. Now, fast forward to today, 
every child, every one of them is trained <laughs> to watch video, right? Because of the amount of screens that they have. So I think you're making a great point is that if it's done the right way, like you can't force a kid to do it, but if it's done the right way, kids can watch that and really respond. Um, and I can tell you one right now, you know, when I look at um, some of the ages I'm coaching in youth right now, which is kind of like a 10 down, um, you know, common thing we say, hey, move your feet, move your feet. And they'll come off and they say, I am moving my feet. And it's like, but you're not, <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're drifting down the ice. So it's like, I need to show them that on the video in a positive yeah. way of like, look, I know you think you're moving your feet, but this is what it looks like. Do you see that now? Then it clicks, yes. right? A another one to reinforce your point. Um, I, I have a lot of beginners on one of the teams that I'm coaching right now. And it's a mix of really experienced players with beginners. It's a school team. Um, and so I gamified everything. So like most young players who are newer at skating, um, a lot of them are just a little bit afraid to fall down. So mm -hmm. you got to make that. Okay. So what I did was I threw uh, 50 pucks on the ice, put a bag in the middle of the ice and I said, pick them up and whoever gets yeah. the most wins, they didn't care at all about falling after that. And, and really the improvement after the one drill was pretty dramatic, right? Just by making it fun. Right. Yeah. Can't get lost. And let me tell you the mechanics of bending down and standing up. No, there's some creativity here. You have to let kids know, I, I, as you said, playing other sports, letting them figure it out. I have found one of the best teachers uh, from a creative standpoint for skating is to let your kids go to public session and, and, and don't, you know, get off their back. They'll figure yeah. it out. Right. Kids do that. Um, I imagine there's an aura of creativity in your work too, right? You, you got to let these players figure things out on their own sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think like that's, you can't be, micromanaging their game I think like you gotta you you can give them little tidbits of what you think that they can improve on but I think when it all comes down to it you have to add some creativity to your practice mm -hmm. and even for I mean for you as in the podcast you want creativity in it it, it unpredictability sometimes is fun right. and so I think um within like our practices and with lab nine like I, I like, I like to teach and that's why I, I actually like to do the video prior uh, to my sessions a lot. And even, even sometimes even before that, like not even on the session day before, because when we get on the ice, I, sometimes I like to step away because now they have their, uh, their clips that they've seen them, themselves in their mind already. And so, and, and now they're seeing the drill that's tied to the video and so now I can actually step back and, 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 and view them versus teach them all the time. Right. The teaching is kind of done before. That's right. a great point. And I think that's, you know, that's a huge focus on, you know, I know hockey Canada, but USA hockey for sure is that constraint based learning environment that, you know, because the kids, you know, you put the five cones out there and they do it and then you take one cone away they, and then they do something different. I go, why would you do something different? well, the cone wasn't there or that wasn't, you know, <laughs> I, I, I thought like, why, why would I do that again? Like, well, you got to read and react to the situation. But I think, mm -hmm. you know, the creativity part is important, but also the ability to think and understand the game. Like I, I talk to coaches probably sometimes too much <laughs> about their, their small area games. I'm like, well, why are you doing the small area game? Like, what's the point of it? Like, do the kids know what the point of it is? And do they know what the result you want out of it? Like it can't just play three on three cross ice and think you're going to get better. I mean, I, and I, and I think that's a, in my opinion, and, and again, it might not mean much, but 
like even at the cross ice level for the little mites and even, you know, the younger kids that what, what we've failed to realize is now a kid makes a move and their only job because of cross ice, because we want the action is they can make a move and they're, and, and they're on the net and their, their only option is to shoot. And instead of looking up ice and seeing, and all of a sudden they get to a place where they got to, like, they've got to see the ice. And we wonder why our kids have no vision outside mm -hmm. of the 10 foot radius is because we've been teaching them for three years that once you make a move on a kid, you're there to shoot. You can try to score, but that's not the game of hockey. The game of hockey exists 200 you know, feet down the ice. And I think that's a really fine piece to start teaching kids that it's not all about making a play and then scoring a goal. It's about making a play making a play, making a play, getting in the zone, defending, you know, so I think that's where, you know, coaches like, you know, yourself, you know, it's a great that you're, you're not only showing video, but then you're letting the kids go in there and then explore what that video meant to them. Like, I'm not yeah. going to tell you, you need to go here. You just got to say, well, listen, remember when we watched this and this is where players went and they got open? Well, you didn't do this. And that's why it resulted in this. And that's it. And, and to Lee's point, this is where our kids are. You know, this is why they love playing video games, right? Because they can make a mistake, they get killed, and then they, and then they come back again. And then they make a mistake, and they get killed, and they come back again. And they just they continue. Yeah. Mike, you got to yeah. say respawn if you want to keep the kids listening. Oh, respawn? Yeah, respawn. There you go. I just made, make sure we're being accurate here for our audience. Go ahead. You respawn. <laughs> and I think I don't know if coaches allow players to respawn enough. That's like, a, think, hey, Listen, that's no. a great quote right there. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> Yeah, take that one. But I just don't think I think we make we, we say we want you to be creative, then you make a creative move and you and it's wrong, and then you sit the kid. <laughs> I'm like, well, no, no, you've respawned. You can you can do it again do, and make the same and do it and make the mistake again. And I hope that the, the and I, you know, I often use the, the term with the parents, like either they're gonna get it or they're not. And if they're not, they're not. I, I don't know what to tell you. They're just not gonna get it. So if yeah. you if you just continue to make the same mistake over and over again, and the only way for me to fix that mistake is to is to joystick you into not making it and you're not doing it on your own at some point that ends for the player and it might yeah. be next month it might be next year unfortunately it might be when they're 18 and yeah. they've run out of joystick coaching and all of a sudden they're at a place where they got to think by themselves and then it's over so i think it's just a matter of you know what can we do at the earliest ages to allow that player to not only feel the 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 uh that, the, that, that their mistakes are not going to hurt them, but how mm -hmm. can I grow through those mistakes by exploring the game? And I think video, having a coach that, that, that takes them out of their team environment and communicating with them. These are all really important things for today's athlete, you know, whether people like it or not and, and think, Oh my God, these kids are on the ice too much. And well, if they're going to be on the ice a lot, then make it worth the while to be there. Like make those sessions, you know, make those reps count as opposed to just going out there and skating. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, Mike, because eventually you reach the teen years and there's just not enough time for error. Mm -hmm. And I think prior to that, you can make errors. And so I think I I think that those errors are, are what's going to make them better at a young mm -hmm. age. And it's going to make sure that they're ready at the, when they reach the higher levels, whether it's U15, like and now is all, almost a high level like U15 is like where they're being scouted and evaluated. And so I think for us as coaches, skills coaches is our job is to prepare them for that level. And I think there's certain programs that do, and there's certain programs that don't. 
and that's okay. Maybe that maybe this player doesn't want to play at a high level, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I still think that there should be um, programs that are that are allowing a player that wants to get to the high level um, a clear pathway. So, so I mean, here's another thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm writing on a lot of notes. You're making me think. Um, you know, one of the things I see at the youth level, and keeping in mind too, um, ninety to ninety-five percent of coaches at the youth level are probably parents. Right. Nothing wrong with that. I love the volunteer aspect of that. The game does not exist without that level of volunteering. Um, But one of the things that I've noticed, and I got to preface this, I'm guilty of this from time to time, too. Right. Because and I'm saying that because this is incredibly hard not to do, is that when I'm on a bench with kids, I got to remind myself I'm not here to do play by play for them on the ice. And, And I hear this all the time. Skate here. Pass it there. Go over there. We're telling them what to do almost too much, right? And so I always kind of remind myself, they don't need play-by-play. A, need to be coaching the kids on the bench. So I always remind myself, the kids that are sitting there that can actually hear what I'm saying, mm-hmm. need to talk to them a little bit more and maybe use what's going on in the ice as an example. This was good. This was bad. Here's why, right? And then when I am looking at the ice, and I've seen this happen in might a lot, uh, which is always funny, a coach will be yelling at a kid to do something and the kid will just stop and turn and look at the bench because some you know, an adult is yelling and and then the puck just goes right by them right so just kind of reinforcing your 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 point we we need to do almost no play by play during these games and, and again this goes all the way up farther than than just you, you know really young kids as a coach i need to observe allow them to make the mistakes and let them learn from the mistakes if a kid is playing in the fear of coaches telling me what to do i need to do that I mean, we are destined them to fail because there'll be no creativity. There'll just be fear, right? So I quickly love your thoughts on that. And again, less play-by-play. And I'll tell you this, as a parent, it's really hard because you want the kids to do well. You want them to learn. But at some point, there's like a, a cliff you go over where it's, you're not teaching, you're telling, right? Yeah. And and you're you're playing a video game. You're trying to control everybody. That's not conducive for learning. Yeah, no, I think I think there's um there's a fine line with that, um, with that statement because I think we have to give them feedback so they improve. Yeah. But I I think it goes back down to the importance of practice, mm-hmm. and so what are you working on during the week, um, at or at this phase of the development for whether it's mites or you know U nine there has to be it goes back to a plan whether it could be shooting right? Like the shot that he took, well, you can speak about how he shot that puck when he comes back off the bench. I'm a, I'm a really, I've, the way I was taught, just some of the mentors I've been around, like really good coaches is there's telling, but then there's teaching. And so there needs to be a, just a, you have to find a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where I think you have to let them go. But for us as coaches, I think it's important to have give them some feedback at certain times if they're frustrated you have we have to read that we have to just leave let them be and and pick the right times to give the feedback points so to answer the question is i think that's the art of coaching Mm. is understanding when to give the feedback and when is when shouldn't you give the feedback so i think that's where you got to find a balance and again it goes down to your what's your identity as a coach right and how are you coaching your players and 
what works, what doesn't, and getting to know your players more. But I think that if you practice um, before those games, I think you can really take a step back and let them and let them just go play and uh, and you can observe versus always trying to tell them what to do. I think practices are, are the spots to really allow yourself to teach them more and let the games kind of be their test. Now, I'm definitely one of those play-by-play coaches. There's no doubt about it. Like on the bench, <laughs> but I'm not yelling across the ice. I'm on the bench, like in, in the play-by-play is just coming out of my mouth. Like, I'm like, Oh, move it there. Okay. You got it. Oh, look at, yeah. see what he did there. Let's see what Ryan did there. Oh, oh he's moving the puck. Oh, you got to back check. You got to back check hard. You got to get here. So I think it's like, to me, like, that's just, that's just my animation as a coach. Like I can't just sit there. He drives and... the same way, just so you know, Samit. He's definitely yeah. like that. <laughs> that's, 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 but that's the, the West Side Highway. But I, I think it's you know, so. So, but I'm just like I'm just like it's hard. It would be hard for me not to to play by play the game to the kids on the bench. Like I like, I personally like it. Now maybe the kids don't like it, but I just want to give them the feedback and not negative. And it's not always, and it's not always negative either. By the way, I'm like, oh man, did you see that pass right there? That's exactly yeah. what we need. That first step pass. We need mm-hmm. more of that. And, and sometimes it's strategic, right? It's a way to critique a kid about what yeah. he did five minutes ago that you didn't scream at him on the ice about. Like, yeah. you're just like, oh, well, that's a positive play. Re- let's reinforce that play. And I think, but that's, that's your point. It's if, and I've seen it at the, at the 18U and the 16U level, coaches screaming, the centerman gets up, looks around, the puck drops, boom, you know, game over like i'm like no no no. like like we just gotta let you know there's there's certain aspects of the game that just need to get played and and i think depending on what level you're at the frustrating thing for a person like me is at the youth level we don't get that 15 hours of practice ice to work on all the nuances of the game like we get like 40 minutes twice a week so you have to be so like really ultra fine-tuned about how you're going to run your practice but you must add in off video other educational pieces if in fact you want to be a pl- in a place where the kids can just go play if you're going to meet yeah, them 40 yeah. 40 minutes twice a week that will not it's just impossible to get there right yeah you know and i think because of hockey the kids aren't exploring on their own like they're not like basketball you can literally go play anywhere at any time, and it, it's not a, there's, there's nobody in my neighborhood that doesn't have a basketball hoop in their driveway. No one, even the you know, even the ninety year old woman down the street still has a basketball. Hoop. <laughs> so, so so everybody you know so that's easy for players, right? But it's it's what, what but what do we do as coaches in the in the ice hockey world to stimulate that that activity and and really fast track it? Going to a lab nine type of place is a way that those players can get that extra training. Because mm-hmm. we just don't have the time in the day, whether you're a paid coach or not, you don't have the time in the day to be able to give the kids all those other reps that they really need and the intellectual reps that we want them to have. Um, you know, you can't just yell at them for 40 minutes in practice. Yeah. So, yeah, really good point. Not a question, just a comment. Well, it's, it's, that's okay. That's the way the show goes. So, me, so <laughs> one of the things I've noticed kind of building on what Mike is saying um, you know, when researching you, it's very hard to not find a picture of you kind of with an iPad or some form of technology teaching the players that you're working with. So I'd love mm-hmm. to dive a little bit into Lab 9 and kind of how you, you utilize that t- technology. You talked a little bit before about, 
you know, hey, we do we do a video prior to the session. But how have you mm -hmm. utilized technology to kind of really help those athletes, maybe on the ice, off the ice, and and so forth, so on and so forth. Excuse me. Um, it depends. So usually, um, the player, a player that I work with during a season, I'll give you an example. Is usually we have a frequency rate of how many games we're going to do, and so I break down the game to every piece that a player is performing during his shifts. So if he plays twenty minutes, I'm tracking his touches his shots his shot generation um i even track when he's forechecking and pretty much what a video coach at the professional level does five on five for a hockey team i do for a player and so from there i come up with feedback points and and those feedback points are distributed to the player during the season uh, depending on the frequency and so and in the background I'm building a skill development plan as well. And so I'm saving all the clips um, that I believe that is tied to a skill where I feel that he needs, either needs to develop more or it's something that he does really, really well. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of the season, I have um, a portfolio built for this player, which I have to build a presentation and that's where going back to what Mike was saying is a conversation of what's your identity? What, what, what are we going to work on this summer? And so it just depends on, I guess, which aspect, but during the whole season, they're getting their feedback. And then when we're on the ice at the end of the season, everything that's communicated throughout the season, it's tied to the drills that we're going to do. And from those drills, um, the video analysis that the player receives on the ice, he's able to tie it back to what he's done in the past. And so all of the video that I do um, on the ice in the off season, I think is something where the player can view when he's on the ice doing the drills. And then after the season or sorry, after the session is completed, they get those sessions and they get to watch them at home. And, and it honestly, it ties to what they've done during the whole season. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is the ability to, to really nail down the skill pieces or the skill aspects of the game for the player. So we can enhance whatever area that we're looking to enhance. I, love it. I think that's a really great way of explaining it too, because I think sometimes we have a lot of video and we don't know what to do with it or why we're using it. And we're just showing things, but to use it as a way to enhance <laughs> You got something, Mike? You're laughing over there. No, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I see every single parent in the stands have their cell phones up and they're taking video. I'm like, what are you doing with the video? What are you doing with it? Yeah. I mean, you're nothing. Yeah. You're doing nothing with it. And you're not, not doing anything positive with it. That's for sure. So I think it, I think it, the, the ability to not only watch video, but have the players explore that and then tell you, right? What, like, wow, yes. man, this is what I was thinking here. Like, I really thought that this was a, like, a positive play. Well, you know, it would have been if you could have done this and this. And again, by the way, this is what we just worked on last week. I mean, there, there has to be nothing more satisfying, right? To see, see you know, skill sets that you're working with in these sessions transfer into a game. Yeah. And game you have player make that little play and that little hitch or they do something that they didn't have in their repertoire six months ago. And now they're using every day. Yeah. And the conversation, it makes sense to them because now I'm referring back to a drill that we did back in August. And now we're communicating on a situation where he did that drill 
that there's a correlation between what he's doing and what he did in the past. And now he can start to adjust that situation a little bit more the next game. Or it's like, oh, he gets the aha moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll say too that, you know, the muscle memory that's built up during a practice, um, I think sometimes, especially from a coaching standpoint, you know, in the games, you don't necessarily want the player to think about the physical things they need to do. You want them just to happen, right? And that's why you do repetitive drills. And that's why you do things to build muscle memory so that that creativity can shine through in the play and not them going, oh, coach told me to make this with my right leg. It should just happen. And and I'd say most of the time, if you're thinking that way, you're going to turn over the puck or make a mistake. Um, so I, mean, so I, I, gotta, I wrote this down and you made me think of this. Both of you actually did. Um, a little bit. I, I don't want to say it's a grading thing I want you to do here, but I want to talk about someone who's very popular in the NHL right now and get your thoughts um, because I've noticed something about this player. Mike, you can share your thoughts too. But I want to talk about Connor Bedard for a minute, um, who you know ranks off the charts with every skill set you can possibly think of. He is an incredibly talented player. But what has impressed me most about Connor Bedard so far in the NHL, you could probably attribute some of this to his coaching staff too, is his ability to not be afraid to try stuff. You know, I've been watching the NHL a long time. Rookies do not try the things that he's trying. He's making a lot of mistakes. A lot of times he's creating clips of himself that are getting shared around the internet. Like, wow, did you see that? What a dumb thing he did. He's not afraid to try. And I think that that is a skill set that I'd like to grade that we don't talk about ever. Like, he seems to have no fear of failure right now and i cannot imagine how much that's accelerating his learning to play in the nhl but i'd love to see get your thoughts on a are you seeing that b is that a skill that can be taught you know is that a hidden skill that we wish more players would share because he is he's fearless out there and he's he's paying for it don't get me wrong all right but but conor bedard two three four five years from now is going to be amazing because of that yeah, I think um, it goes back to one, he's a very talented athlete, probably yeah. one of the most talented athletes in the world in the game. I think that that plays a part. The other thing, too, is his identity as a player is a scorer. We know he's going to score, and the impact that he can make in a game is, is so high that I think that, that there's a fine line between making sure that all players take those risks right. versus like him that's that <laughs> might turn on the clock four times but he's going to score too right and so with if, if either of us were playing and we turn on the clock four times where we might not be scoring that night right well we'd be and sent so, down to the minors immediately afterwards too yeah <laughs> so it's, it's uh that's a good question i think that i think players should be creative right um but, but as a coach like for me i like creativity but within my structure. Right. Absolutely agree with you hundred percent. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think there, there, there is a piece that we have to preach creativity, but actually communicate what's okay and what's not. Right. I think yeah, that's a really good way. And, and to your point though, you're seeing it a little bit. I mean, you know, cause, cause guys that come to mind with me, like a Connor Bedard is a Trevor Zegers, a Cole Caulfield. Like these guys have zero fear of making mistakes, but you just saw like Trevor, he gets sad a couple of, you know, games there, you know, cause, cause again, the creativity does, you know, when it comes down to your livelihood, um, 
all of a sudden starts affecting you, right? So, I mean, so there is there is a little leeway there, and we want we don't want to. I mean, I remember you know a long time ago was it Paul Maurice coaching Patrick Liney when he first came in the league, and I think you know there was a whole thing about you just got to let Patrick Liney be Patrick Liney, like he's gonna he's gonna blossom into this you know unstoppable force. And he, I think it was an overtime game, three on three, tried to make this little cutesy move and gets knocked on his ass. They go down, they score, they lose the game. And Paul Maurice is like, well, of course I'm going to put him out. He's going to, he's going to be on there. For, he's going to be out for the opening lineup tomorrow night because, mm-hmm. because he had the leeway to do that with that player. Would he do that today as a coach? I don't think so. Because I think you, you, you learn from getting burned. Right. And you have to be like, okay, well, there's a time and a place like Connor Bedard has a lot of leeway right now because the, the, the ramp for him is really long. Like nobody's yeah. expecting the Blackhawks to go win a Stanley cup this year. Exactly. It's so, another good point. So, you know, so he, if he was on, I don't know, you know, if he was on, uh, you know, look at Edmonton. I mean, do, do you think, can those guys be as creative as they want to be right now? No, they got to no. play structured, yeah. tight, disciplined hockey, boring hockey. This is, you know, some people would say, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, right. When, when you don't have a when you don't have a Hughes kid on your team, can you play as dynamic and and open hockey? No, you got to play. You know, it's like more structured. We should mention we're recording this in mid November and Edmonton is in hell. <laughs> we should say that right. Now. With two with two of the yeah. best players in the whole world. I agreed. Agreed. Like, I mean, so so you yeah. know, it, it, but but again, the, the, all of a sudden that stifles their ability to be a little bit more creative because they got to be a little more structured. What is structured. I think. I think what we're talking about is understanding the environment as a coach, right? Right. Like I I remember, look, let's use Ovechkin as an example. I remember when he started in the league and don't get me wrong, he started with a bang, but I believe Hanlon was his first coach and, and it, it, I'm not criticizing him as a coach, but Ovechkin seemed largely held back, right. In terms of his offensive production until um, Boudreau came in and Boudreau really opened up the system for Ovechkin to become the, the ultimate offenseman, but they didn't win. Right. And and when you see um, uh, Barry Trotz come in, he transformed again. So into into somewhat of a defensive player. Now Trotz is gone and he's back to, to not being that. Um, and I mean, that's his whole career. I just I just went through. But I think that in, what I'm uncovering from that question I asked is the environment has to be understood. The coaching yes. staff has to allow for that player to do what they need to do within that environment. And the player also has to understand that you need to do what the coaching staff's asking you to do for us to succeed in that environment. Right. And obviously, if you make mistakes too often in all of that, someone's losing a job at the pro level. Right. But bringing this back to the youth level, I think it still stands. We have to recognize the environments. Go ahead, Samit. Yeah, like I think there's certain spots of the ice where you can be really creative. You know, like I was um, just at a game out in Vancouver and I saw this, you know, he's 13 years old. He's at the power play at the top and, you know, he circled the puck a couple times when, you know, the penalty killer was coming and, and faked one side, didn't touch the puck and use the other flank. And I was like, that's creativity. Mm -hmm. I I haven't seen that very often at a young age. So I think like there's spots of the ice where you can really add that creativity piece within the game and within the structure, like Mike was saying, and, and still be creative. I really think that to me is like, the ultimate and that to me is like Sidney Crosby mm-hmm. that, that that comes into my mind is, is that like he's so creative within a team structure with his feet with his hands with his his mind that one shift where this is years ago against um Ottawa when he was on his knees and he was stick handling like I think that 
kind of stuff is like, to me, like as a coach, again, I like structure, but you can find pieces and areas of the ice where you can be very creative. And I mean, the Michigan works too, right? right? Like, I think that's a behind the net play. That's that I, I think it's great for the game. I agree with you. You're yeah. gonna put the puck in the net. Go ahead. But if now, you know, if you're gonna, if you're, if you're gonna be that kid that does that, and then, but you're on the ice for seven against, then maybe you got to think about a different way yeah, to score. I, I think what we're saying is, you, you got to strike balance as a player and as a coach, right? From from both aspects, and the and parents, we have to understand that that, um, you know, look, there is no process. We always say that there's no one right process for any player. It's different for every player, but mm. understanding the situation you're in that that Michigan is a incredibly creative play that is part of the game now, which is, you know, amazing. I mean, it was, that started 20 years ago and it's now becoming part of the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I had a, you know, I was coaching an adult hockey Academy and, and Jordan Gavin, he's a, he's a pretty, you know, highly touted prospect. And he did the Michigan when we were up, I think a couple goals, you know, and, and I think it was the third period and, and, you know, that's a great time if we're down, you know, one goal and right. he's trying to do it again and doesn't score then, you know, but like, those are like just knowing like the place and time and the right. situational play at that time of the game, I think is important to know. So speaking of place and time, my, my final question today uh, talks about you in a place at a time. Um, and, and I always think it's important to uncover this when I read it, but one of my favorite parts of your story is how you realize quickly once entering the professional world or the real world, as we used to call it, um, which you did, I think you said accounting and finance, um, yeah. that that was not going to be for you in terms of the day-to-day, -day, right? So you left that to pursue a life in the game. Um, those first few years, and I remember them because I had a very similar journey, they're never easy. Um, but you said, and I, I heard this in an interview, you knew something wasn't right. Um, and I know there's people listening who have aspirations to be involved in the game outside of playing. Uh, in fact, it's one of the more common questions I get uh, from kids and adults of, hey, how do I get involved in the game? I really want to be involved in the game. So, Samin, I wanted to ask you, can you shed some wisdom about why you were able to find success on that? What is usually an incredibly scary journey, but but a journey that we we have both taken and Mike, you as well. Yeah, just to speak on that, I, I think you obviously got to be passionate, which I think <laughs> a lot of people are about the game. Um, you got to be willing to take risk and accept that you're going to take that risk and put yourself around really good people. Mm. I think that was the big thing that I did. And it was I put myself around people that had success in the game um, or or just a, a mentor that was known in the game. Right. And I think that's, that was a, a really big step that I, that I took. And, and that's the feedback that I got from the mentorship is put yourself around good people um, in the game. And I think that was really important. And then and the other thing too, is, is I think study what part of the game you want to be involved in, right? Like if I want to be a podcaster like you, I would be listening to podcasts and writing notes down like you do. And I think like, as a, for me, as a, as a coach, I put myself around a really good video coach that, you know, worked with Tom Rennie in the past. And, and I learned a lot from that. And, and then from there, you know, you start to build your own identity as a coach. 
And from there you start to meet other people and you start to figure it out. And I think like the other thing too is keep going. Don't give up. I think that's number one thing as well. Yeah. I I, I think that that last part is really key because there's going to be times that you don't think it's going to happen. And you, you know, you got to hold on for one more day or keep moving. The other thing you said, and I love this, uh, statement kind of echoes is proximity is power, right? Uh, no one, no one succeeds in anything alone. It It is not a truth, right? Um, finding the right people, educating yourself. I've always told myself that if I really love something, this was kind of my gauge and how I analyze risk. If I loved it, it wasn't going to be hard for me to study or read or do it, yeah. right? I'd want to do it. And I've always had a little bit of an alarm in my head of like, man, I'm really not enjoying this. Um, you can't force passion, right? It, it's the passion forces you to do the work, not the other way around. Um, and like you said, you know, podcasting is a great way to interview people within the realm and learn. And and one of the reasons I I really believe this podcast has been successful is because we create that environment together with the guests where where everyone learns, right? It's not just who are you, what do you do? Hey, you know, that's the type of podcast that this is. But I think, Sami, that's just fantastic advice. And I, I think that, again, anybody, and for those people who always ask that question, if the passion's there, you'll find a way, right? You got to find the right people. You got to find the right work and you'll study. You'll want to learn. And it, almost to an obsessive level. Yeah. Right? And 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 the closer you get to it, by the way, the less people will understand. Why are you doing yeah. that? You're obsessed. I am obsessed. <laughs> Mike, do you have anything before I close this out? Nah, it's a great story and a great, you know, again, that journey is the hardest part, right? It's And, and I guess I would say one cautionary tale is if it's just not working, get, get the hell out and do something else. <laughs> I mean, you got to know how to cut bait. You know, I think it's just hard. Like a lot of us like, oh, I'm going to really try this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to keep going. And it's just throwing, you know, you're just throwing your time and money away. And, uh, you know, if you're in a, if you're, if you're a player right now, you're listening to this. I mean, you you just have to really look in the mirror and say, this is a lot of work. If I want to play where I think I, where I write down in my journal where I want to play, well, writing it down is not going to get you there if you don't, if you don't, you know, do the work. And that's, what's great about sport, right? Is you can't just go and say, Oh, I'm going to be the best player on my team and be that player. You got to do the work. And if, you know, if, if, and a lot of parents don't want to hear that, they don't want to hear that if, you know, if the player doesn't want to do the work, I'm going to, I'm going to find a skills coach to have him do the work. Well, you know, there's plenty of people to take your money, but at some point you're like, ah, you, just, you know, just, uh, you know, go play rec hockey and have fun and love the sport. And, and the, the funny thing is some of those kids that leave come back. Yeah. Right. They, they, they realize that it was like, it became a job. And then they found that, you know, they, they real, and then they go, Oh my, you know, I actually really love this. And I just found a different path and a journey to get there. Just like all of us, in the working world. Right. I and, mean, you know, you get to be an adult and you say, I hate this. And then sometimes you come back to it, you know, and I think it's great that you found the sport again and found your path. And it's, it's, um, it's very, uh, it's great that the people in Calgary and the kids there are getting the opportunity to have somebody like you around. Thank you. Thank you very oh, much. Samit, it's been great having you. It looks like a beautiful morning out there on the West side of the, of the continents. I'll put it that way. It's very well lit for those who are watching. Enjoy while it's there. Enjoy while you have it. <laughs> Um, if you guys want more info on Samit, obviously look him up, but you can look him for Lab 9. That's L-A-B, the number 9, I-N-E, uh, online. Uh, lots of videos there, but but learn more about this, man. Let's celebrate this man and and what he's accomplished, not just on his own, but what he's taught us today about expanding how we can become better coaches, better parents, better players, 
right? Because that's really what it's all about, right? Is is it, it pushing forward the knowledge base of hockey and not letting it just sit where it is. But Sumit, you've been an uh, uh, Sumit, excuse me, been a wonderful guest. Loved having you on today. Um, any final words before we close this out? Uh, no, I really appreciate you guys having me. Um, just you know, to the players out there that are you know wanting to you know take that step um, and and try to get to the to their dream, like I. I I put myself out there as a coach to help you get there. And, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to help those players and parents uh, reach their goals. Um, I'm really passionate and um, I really appreciate you having me on on this podcast. Thank you, Lee and Mike. Appreciate it. Appreciate having you too, brother. And again, that's going to do it for this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Remember, all the episodes are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Also check out our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. And if you want to join the conversation online, Every single day, we get new people into our Facebook group, Our Kids Play Hockey. You have to answer a couple yes or no questions to get in, but the conversation continues. You can give us episode ideas. Uh, you can ask questions of the host or other people in the group. So check that out on Facebook. But for Mike, I'm Lee. This has been a great interview with Samit Ware. We'll see you next time on Our Kids Play Hockey. Take care, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to like and subscribe right now if you found value wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcast network, a social media network, or our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. Also, make sure to check out our children's book, When Hockey Stops, at whenhockeystops.com. It's a book that helps children deal with adversity in the game and in life. We're very proud of it. But thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we'll see you on the next episode.